0: Please open your Bibles to Psalm 1, the first psalm, Psalm 1. Psalm means praise. They are prayer and they are praises written as poetry. And they were used by, Israel's, by the nation of Israel in their worship service. Many of the themes that we find here in Psalms 1 and 2, they work together. They will be developed further in the other Psalms. So, this, uh, they have a message of their own. But they also are a great help for us to understand the rest of the Psalter. So, with that, let us read God's Word. Psalm 1. Blessed And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. But they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. Let us pray. For God, this is your word and we are your people. Will you speak to us? Will you teach us? Will you pour out your blessing upon us? We pray in Jesus. Amen. Everyone seeks to live a prosperous life. You look around and people are trying to get the best of life. And we as well. We want a good life. We want prosperity. We we want to be blessed. Prosperity. There's nothing wrong with prosperity in itself. The problem is to understand what true prosperity is. So what is true prosperity? What is blessedness? What is happiness? Well, the Bible gives us what it's looked like to be blessed. Psalm 1 describes things in black and white for us. Very simple. There are things in the scriptures that perhaps are difficult to understand, but that which is necessary to salvation is very simple to any ordinary person. So, the Bible pictures for us life as a way. In the book of Proverbs, parents are taught, they are taught to train their children in the way they should go. Genesis 6 tells us that God sent the flood because men corrupt their ways. So ways in the Bible are frequently an analogy. To tell the way one leads his life. Way is the way that we lead our lives. In that sense, we are all travelers. We have picked one road, and there are just two. This is what the Psalm puts before us black and white. There are only two ways to lead life. Either you choose the path of life, or you are walking. In the life of death and destruction, only two ways. But how do I identify? How do I know I am walking in the right path? Well, the psalmist describes for us what it looks like, but he calls us first to look at the journey. And after, he, he invites us to look at the, the end of the journey, the future. Because if you look only at the journey, you might be confused. Because sometimes the way that leads to life is not easy. It's not necessarily the most comfortable. So Psalm 1 is an eye-opening text to us. As it shows to us what true blessedness is. And as we walk in our walk with God, sometimes even as Christians we might be confused. Christians sometimes struggle with that. The psalmist of Psalm 73, he struggled with that. He looked around and he thought, hey, the wicked seems to be more blessed than we are. He said, as for me, my feet almost stumbled; My steps had nearly slipped for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So if we just look at the journey, if we do not look at the destination, we might be discouraged. So again, all of us, we are traveling somewhere. Those who are in Christ are traveling, are on their way to glory. And those who are outside of Christ are walking on the way of destruction. And this text is an invitation To change paths again. So, uh, the title of our message is True Blessedness. And we have divided it in very simple headings. First, the path of the righteous. Second, the path of the unrighteous. And third, we're going to see the end of both paths. So, instead of defining for us what is true blessedness, The psalmist is going to show us what it looks like to live a blessed life. And that is because there is so much confusion if you look around. If you ask people what happiness is, perhaps everyone has their own ideas about it. The world has its own ideas about happiness. And uh, the psalmist here is giving you this scriptural idea. About blessedness. And what the scriptures. Give us. Is not merely an opinion. That you can disagree on. This is the word of God. And God. Determines reality. Blessedness. Happiness. Is whatever God says it is. Everything else. Is a fading. Delusion. Is a fading delusion. Delusion. So, uh, the first word that we see here in our psalm is the word blessed. And it is is important to understand this word. It's, It's a key concept that the psalmist have here. Because it is not, this is a descriptive word. It is declarative. He's declarating something. It's not an expression of a wish. He's not looking at a poor man and and. Saying, wow, this man, what a poor man. May the Lord bless you, poor man. He's not looking at a miserable person and saying, wow, may the Lord change you a lot. May the Lord bless you. No, this is a man who looks at an individual. He looks at him, the way he walks, the way he conducts his life. The way that he fears the Lord and he takes his counsel from the Lord and he says, this is the true blessed man walking in this world. This is the happy one. This is what he is saying to us. He's looking at this individual with admiration and just concluding, he is a happy one in this world. He is happy. And as he says that, he immediately goes on to describe his lifestyle. And one thing that we can learn here immediately is that blessedness can be distinguished. It can be discerned. But it's not discerned the way that the world does. The way to discern that is not to look at your possessions. It's not even by looking at your health that you determine blessedness. Because sometimes the wicked have better health than the Christians do. So that's not the way that you determine blessedness. But the blessedness of this man is first of all seen by his walk, by the way he conducts his life. He he has found something. He's going somewhere. So, as the psalm describes the conduct of this individual, and this is a psalm of contrast. There are stark contrasts here. He describes the way of blessedness, the life of the righteous, in contrast with the way of the unrighteous, the way of the ungodly. And the distinctive characteristic of the child of God in in this all is his separation from everything that is hostile to God. Everything. The blessed does not follow the counsel of the wicked. He does not associate with his wickedness. He does not join him in his rebellion against God. You know... The psalm teaches us that there must be a visible and stark distinction between a child of God and an unbeliever. There must be a sharp distinction. If we don't see that in our own lives, that should worry us. That should worry us. And uh, the psalm. Causes also to this examination. So the blessed man is first described by things negative, by the things that he says no to, by things that he avoids. This is part of Christian life, things that we say no to. So the righteous intentionally avoids the counsel of the ungodly. You know, the world ha- has many categories for people the rich, the poor. The famous, the not so famous, right? The popular, the not so popular. And uh, in between there can be many shades, right? Between the right, uh, between the, the poor and the rich, that can be the middle class or someone ascending the ladder of success. For the psalm, for the psalmist, only two. There is the godly and there is the ungodly black and white, just these two categories, black and white. So, the righteous intentionally avoids the counsel of the ungodly. Well, and the ungodly is whoever, whoever does not walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the description of the ungodly. He's a sinner and the word sinner here describes a habit of sin. Sin in his life is something habitual. We know that Christians is still sin. John in 1 John says that Christians still sin but sin, the, the, the Christian cannot live in the practice of sin. He's no longer in bondage to sin. So, this man, the blessed man, is described by the things that he, say, he says no to. He says no to the counsel of the ungodly. Jesus Christ makes that sharp distinction, doesn't he? He says, whoever is with me, who is not with me, is against me. Is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Sharp distinction. It's not, even if you have good morals. If you're not with the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in a category of the ungodly. This is what the scripture is saying. This is what the scripture is saying. And Jesus is making this sharp distinction. So the wicked is the unbeliever. And he's also known by his lifestyle. By his lifestyle. You know... The wicked, as they grow in wickedness, they become more and more mockers of God. Mockers of true religion. Young people, if you, are, if you are in school, if it's not a Christian school, and you say that you believe in Jesus Christ, they might ridicule you. Well, adult young people, if you say in college or at work, that you are going to wait until you're married to have any sexual experience, and that you're going to have that only with your spouse, what do you expect? Mockery. If you say in college that God created the universe by the power of His Word, He's sad, and things happen, what, what are you to expect? Probably some Mockery, some mockery. The child of, they might think, they might try to convince you. They might think that you are the one who needs to change sides. And they might try to convince you. And the word that describes wicked here, one of the words, the word scoffer, is describing that person who will try to recruit you to their side. They will try to recruit you to be like them. So the child of God must separate from everything that is hostile to God. He must separate from, from sin. From sin. He must live a holy life. But let us not misunderstand the message of this text. We are not, this text is not teaching social isolation. Some people of some religion will just shut themselves in a monastery. And they think that way they will be holy. That is not the call here. Jesus walked with sinners. We are called to share the gospel with sinners and to love them. But what is in view here is a walk, a conduct. We are not to base our lives in the counsel of the world, we are not to base our lives in that, on that. We are to refuse to base our conduct on their ways, on their own ways, or or on their counsel. And dear brother and sister, make no mistake. We all take counsel. We all take counsel. We all shape our lives taking some principles. We are influenced by what we hear. We are influenced by what we watch. We are influenced by what we read, by what we observe. They are counselors. In a world of social media, everyone is a counselor. And everyone is a counselee. Sometimes you may say, you may not actively be asking for a counsel, but are you still? taking it. Or perhaps you listen to your own heart as your counsel. And in that way, you live in some sort of autonomy from God. The Bible puts it very simple. There are only two options. Either you hear God or you hear me. Only two options. All those councils from outside, they are council of the world. Are you going to hear God? Or are you going to hear the culture? Actually, who have you been hearing? From where do you take the principles to conduct your life, to conduct your business, to raise children? From the scriptures or from the culture. A culture that redefines even the concept of life. The concept of marriage. That distorts even the the most basic principles that we find in the scriptures. Such as what is a man and what is a woman. Are you going to hear man or are you going to hear God? That is the question that is placed before us here. But if we live in an ungodly world where counsels, ungodly counsels are coming from everywhere, how do we obey what verse 1 teaches us to obey? Well, there that, 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 that needs to be some action. There needs to be some intentional attitude. Attitude, we must be saturated with the Word of God. Paul teaches us that there are some things that we must put off, but we are not empty. There are things that we must put on. The reason why this man walks the way he walks, stands firm the way he stands, is because he's filled and saturated with the Word of God. He meditates on it day and night. And that is just an expression. Day and night is not to say in the morning and at night. That's good. But the expression is the entire day you are in God's word. It's not to say that you are going to read the Bible every second. Because you have to work. You have things to do. But the word has to be at the back of your mind all the time. As you speak. As you act. Everything you do must be shaped, must be evaluated by the word of God. You know, it's an interesting term that uh, this psalm has here. The man that walks not in the way of the wicked, he meditates on God's law day and night. And that meditation, meditation is something Uh, The original term speaks of something that you mutter, that you repeat for yourself. It's speaking of some reflection. It's not just that quickly reading and and I'm done. It goes with you as you go to work. You reflect upon that. You let that sink in. That is the way that it's going to shape your life. Uh, I don't know if it's a good illustration, but have you seen a dog when he's happy with a, a bone? He goes to a corner, to a private place, and he leaks it. It goes like over and over to one side and to the other. He, he wants to get everything. Perhaps that's something of the meditation that we should have, of the new birth. The natural man cannot delight in the Word of God. The natural man can know it well. He can be a Pharisee. He can know it by memory. He can be a good theologian. But until the Spirit of God works new life in him, the, the law of God will always be a burden to that person. It will always be a burden. Well, it is God working in you. God work, working in us that will get you to that place that we say like Paul, I delight in the law of God in the inner man. Notice that Paul, Paul recognizes in Romans 7 that he does not practice the law perfectly. And we know that is not possible to us. But he says, I delight in it. It is my joy in the inner man. In the deepest parts of my being, I delight in it. True blessedness begins with love for God. But let us go deeper. The the word here for delight is a very specific word. There are other words in the Old Testament that speaks of a sort of desire. Delight. But some of those words, they speak of a desire. Let us picture it like this. It is you here and you have a bunch of options to choose from. That the world offers you and you have God all together and you need to evaluate. um, Is God the most? Does he deserve my focus? What am I going to choose? Well, the word chosen here speaks of an object. That is attractive in itself. It has intrinsic qualities. If you don't see it, you're missing out. The problem is you who are blind. God is desirable. God is desirable. Especially if you think that you are God's creation. You are God's image-bearer, you'll find no happiness apart from Him. You'll find no happiness apart from God. It is like God Himself is the fuel on which you function. Like an engine of a car. If your car takes only gasoline and you keep putting something else, what is going to happen to it? You're going to destroy it. It is the same thing with us. We keep putting stuff. Eating stuff. Taking all the counsels that will only destroy us. They are incompatible with God's image bearers. They are incompatibles. There is no true happiness apart from the triune God. All the treasures apart from God are fading delusions. That is the truth. The sinner misunderstands happiness. He misunderstands prosperity. When we choose to live according to our own counsel, we forsake true blessedness for a delusion. I think this quote of C.S. Lewis is very helpful here to illustrate our point. C.S. Lewis says that the problem of the sinner is not that he desires too much, but that he he is happy with too little. He's happy with too little. Listen to this words: If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what it's meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. This is us when we choose anything. Apart from our God. David understood that very well. He says in Psalm 16. You are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. O Lord. You are the portion of my inheritance. My cup. God is our all. In all. Of course. You can only see God like that in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Delight in the Word is delight in Jesus Christ. You can't separate the Word and Christ. You can't separate the Law and Christ. Christ is the Word walking. Christ is the Word made flesh. He is the one who came to fulfill the requirements of the law for you. He came according to the law. The law spoke of him, so you can't separate both. You can't. The only way you are going to fulfill the law is, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that is said about the word. Is true about the Lord Jesus Christ. The word is the truth. It revives your soul. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He's the word itself. All the prophets must say, thus says the Lord. And Jesus says, I say to you, I am the word. Jesus is the The word of God. It is in Him that we receive all the promises. Think of all the promises that we receive from God when we are in Christ. Your sins are forgiven. You get a new body. A perfect body. You'll be sinless. you have an eternal life of blessedness. Right now, you experience comforts that the world cannot have. You have an intercessor right there in heaven for you, even right now as we speak. Think of all the blessedness that you receive in the Son of God. And if if you think, if you think that this text is not pointing to Jesus Christ, you just need to look at Psalm 2. This psalm, these both psalms are the gateway of the Psalter. And as you go uh, to chapter 2, you will see that the text is talking about the Lord's anointed. The Lord's anointed in verse 2. And it talks about the king that God has put on his holy hill, Zion. And then he's going to say, who is that king? He says in verse 7, you are my son. It is all about the son. There is no blessedness apart from him. If you look at the end of verse of chapter 2, what is it going to say? The last nine. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. He is the secret of blessedness. To take refuge in him. And the Lord Jesus in the Son, in the Son of God. That is, this is true blessedness. I think uh, the word blessed is richer than happiness. This is the truth. Because it includes happiness, but it's more than that. It's life abundant. It's life abundant that Jesus offers to us. Now look at the benefits of this man in verse 3. This man. And lives his life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the benefits. Because it is like the the psalmist is saying, all the benefits of the man who is in Christ. And then you read in verse 3, He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in in its season. And its leaf does not wither, and all that he does prosper. You know, prosper. This is true prosperity. This is the gospel of prosperity. The true gospel of prosperity is the gospel that focuses on Jesus. So, here we see true prosperity. This man is like a plant. Notice the benefits of this man. Everything good in his life is good because it comes from God himself. Everything. He's like a tree that that takes his sustenance from god's word that's why he's evergreen and uh the word for the word for planted it's a passive word, right someone else planted and it can also be be translated as transplanted so i'm not a gardener i'm not i'm not a farmer either but i i have seen my wife doing a little bit of gardening and uh she usually, usually takes a plant and she transfers from here there. And when she does that, it is because the land where uh, the plant was originally is, is not good. The plant is dying. So she transplants that to give it a better chance of life. So she will water it. And uh, the word for river here. Talks about artificial canals, perhaps not a natural river. It's a provision for this plant. This is a beautiful picture of what God does to us. He transfers us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son. And, and he, he has prepared this environment, this river to nurture us. To nurture us. This is the picture that we have here. This is true blessedness. Perhaps you don't see that in your life right now. Because. Perhaps you are not as healthy. As you expect it to be. Perhaps. Your job is not going as expected. Your projects are not going as expected. And you look at the the wicked. And they seem to be more prosperous. The psalmist wants you. To open your eye. Look at where you go. Look at the end of the journey. And this. Leads us. First or second point. The path of the unrighteous. Because we are going to contrast now. Before we get to, to the end of the journey. We are going to make this contrast. Here. Between the reality. Of the path of the wicked. There are some things he avoids as well. He avoids God. He avoids God's instruction. He thinks he has better, better ideas. He thinks he has figured out the way to live. So he avoids us. He avoids God. Sometimes people admire them. And that makes them feel more confident. But they are in slippery places. The Bible says. Here is God's view on the wicked. Because in the world, if you look around, they they, they are praised sometimes, they are put up there. But see, there is no reason to envy them. Here is how God sees the wicked. If they think that they are an oak tree, God says that they are not even a tree. Their autonomy from God cuts themselves from the source of life. That is God himself. They, they do not want to be attached to anything. And sometimes they seem to fly high. But God sees no sign of life in them. They are not even a leaf. A leaf would it still be green somehow? The Bible pictures the wicked as a chaff. This is life apart from Christ, a chaff that seems to be flying high now, but will not stand in the day of judgment. Will not stand, and we know what the Bible says about chaff. It's it's a picture here of instability. There is no instability. There's no, there's no stability actually. There's no stability in the life of the ungodly. His projects and everything that he does are unstable, are prepared for destruction. They may seem to have free course now. But what does the Bible say about chaff? Chaff is for the fire chaff is for the fire and i think here is even an invitation for the wicked to see that the path that he has chosen is leading to destruction is leading to destruction and god is calling him or her to the paths of life to the paths that lead to glory and this leads us to our last point, the end of both paths. God calls the righteous blessed because He blessed the righteous Himself. He causes him to prosper. The wicked He curses. Believers must not envy, must not envy the wicked because those who today sit in the seat of scoffers will not stand in judgment, do not stand. In that day, God will separate wheat and chaff, godly and ungodly. Interesting enough, with Psalm Psalms one and two, they are key to understand the rest of the psalter. The concepts that we have here, wicked, uh, godly, the way, are going to be developed. In the rest of the Psalter, this is the gateway a worshiper of God must enter through it, through this gateway. They must know what it entails to be worshiper of the living God. If they want to join the assembly of God's worshipers, they must understand what it entails. It entails a whole life commitment. It takes the Sunday and the whole week. It takes our entire lives. This Psalm teaches us that God will not receive worship from those who do not love Him, from those who do not delight in Him. We need to come, we need to live our own ways, our own righteousness. And we come, we come to the Lord and ask Him to change us. And as Christians, we, we must pray that He will. Help us to grow in this delight. That perhaps you had more of this. When you first began in the life of faith. But has deemed a little bit. And we need to ask God that that he will kindle. Rekindle it. God will receive worship. Only of those who worship him. You know. The way of the righteous will prosper. Because God Will prosper. God knows it. This is uh, what we see at the end of the Psalter, uh, of, of chapter one of Psalm one, actually. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Of course, God knows everyone. He knows the way of the wicked too. So, what is it saying? It's saying, uh, it, it's speaking of that knowing that has to do with intimacy. With a close relationship. God watches over the way of the blessed man. That is why he is blessed. And it is only the way that God knows, that he decides to know, that we will prosper. The way of the wicked will lead to death. The Lord knows his true worshipers, he knows. And he says, Jesus says that in the last day, many will say, Lord, Lord, we have performed many miracles and done things in your name. And what is Jesus going to say to those who lived an ungodly life, who said that they were even a Christians, but Christ was never there, Lord? I do not know. I do not know you. But what is he going to say? For those who have shaped their lives. By God's word. Come. Blessed. Blessed of my father. Come to me. Come to me. To eternal life. Let us pray. Lord Lord our God. in, In you there is true blessedness. And apart from you. There is no death. We have no good apart from you. Lord, you are our inheritance. You are our greatest treasure, our all in all. And we praise you so much because you have transferred us from the kingdom of darkness. And, and we, are, we already belong to the kingdom of your Son right now, Lord. What a great comfort in our difficulties, in our trials, in our discouragement, Lord, we can know that we rest in your care. That you have provided for for us nutrition, nourishment, and this heavenly word. Lord God, thank you because it has been read today. It has been preached today. Will you apply it to our hearts and may it change our walk and stir us up to love you more in the name of Jesus Amen we will continue our worship service by singing hymn 501 501